welcome to the Utah Women in Leadership podcast series. Today we're going to be talking about something that's been at the forefront of the news cycle for almost a year now, and that's sexual harassment. I'm Dr. Susan Madsen, founder of the Utah Women in Leadership Project, and I'm here with Robin Scribner, a research fellow here at the project. First, for the last few years, Robin and I have been working on a series of 12 snapshots on a variety of critical topics that impact Utah women in different ways. And Robin, you're the lead researcher on this series. Can you talk for a minute about why we're doing these snapshots in general? Well, Susan, we really focus here at the Utah Women in Leadership Project on all different ways that women can strengthen their impact by developing their voices, their confidence, and really moving forward in leadership. But as we were looking at a lot of these issues, we recognized that there are so many fundamental factors to an overall woman's well-being that if those factors aren't in place, those women don't have any space in their lives to think about leadership or really to aspire to those types of roles. And so we wanted to study different, really important critical topics in the state of Utah related to women, such as poverty, labor force participation, uh, domestic violence, and different things that really impact a woman's well-being. And, so that, and women in STEM and yes. labor force, like you said, a variety of topics. Yes. And once we understood those things better, we'd be in a better position to help women move forward in all areas of their lives so they had space in their lives to look toward leadership. And I think uh, these snapshots have been so well received in the community. And and for me, you know, people have requested them. Nonprofits and government uh, entities have said, you know, do you have data on certain things? And so I think these have really uh, been beneficial to a lot of people here in Utah. Uh, so this podcast will focus on the latest one. And the, the actual snapshot was called uh, Sexual Harassment, What Utahns Need to Know. So Robin, talk about the timing of this snapshot. Why is it so important? And why are people talking about this topic so much? Well, this it, this whole movement with the Me Too movement and the really heightened sense of conversation nationally and even globally about sexual harassment really shows how much this issue has been hiding in the dark for decades and, and centuries, really. Probably women, centuries. Yes. <laughs> women have been sexually harassed when they've been in all sorts of different settings. But something's just happened. There's been a critical mass over the last year of women really coming forward. And as more and more women spoke out, it gave space for women to have the courage to share their own stories, hoping that they'd be believed. Because I think that's one of the main factors why women stay silent, is that they're worried that no one's going to believe them, and that they're going to get blamed for their own behavior. And I know you've had this experience as well as I've had this experience where women who have been sexual harassed here in the state of Utah have come forward and shared their stories with us. I don't know how many I've had share stories. And, and uh, you know, it it's still surprises me. It surprises me sometimes when they share stories about being in the areas or businesses that you think maybe those things wouldn't happen. So um, in the research, did you see any any specific areas uh, like in the state of Utah, politics or business or government where it's, you know, happens more or is it really in every area? Oh, it's absolutely in every area. 
every single person is a potential, you know, person to experience sexual harassment. And another reason why this has become such a strong, powerful movement is absolutely because of social media. Yes. So yes. in the past, people have been able, you know, talk about it with their friends. It's gotten some small recognition. But as soon as, and this Me Too hashtag is actually a decade old, but sharing it in this specific climate, within a couple of days, it had millions of women it's amazing worldwide saying, Me Too, this has also happened to me. Well, let's talk for a minute, and I'm going to actually read a definition that we wrote in this snapshot of sexual harassment, because what we found is that sometimes people don't understand what that term means. So this definition comes from the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, EEOC is what we use for short, and here, here is the definition. Unwelcome sexual advances, requests for sexual favors, and other verbal or physical conduct of a sexual nature constitute sexual harassment when this conduct explicitly or implicitly affects an individual's employment, unreasonably interferes with an individual's work performance, or creates an intimidating, hostile, or offensive work environment. So you read some different definitions, but why is it important to understand this definition and, and other definitions? Well, one thing that is absolutely critical, they've learned from the research in identifying and preventing and stopping sexual harassment is for women to clearly understand what it is. The EEOC did a major research study in 2016. It's on, long. Yes, <laughs> it is. It's 100 pages long, the, the findings of the study. And there's tons of great information there. You can find it in the snapshot itself, a link to it. But um, one thing that they found in their research was when they asked women just generally overall, have you experienced sexual harassment? Only 25% of women said yes. But when the same women were given a specific definition and clear examples of sexual harassment, those same women went up to 40%. Oh, once I know what it is and exactly what constitutes sexual harassment, yes, I've absolutely experienced that. So women that. themselves don't understand the components. But obviously, from the research that we've seen, men sometimes don't understand either, correct? Yes, absolutely. And so some people, maybe they're being kind of jerks, messing around, joking around, but not realizing what they're doing is yeah. illegal. Absolutely. And you also found a definition, and, and sometimes we we don't know the distinction between how sexual harassment is a bit different from just general sex or gender discrimination. So talk about that for a minute. Right. That's an important distinction. We all know that there's a lot of gender discrimination or sex discrimination that happens in workplaces, but regular gender discrimination is unfair treatment for someone just because of your gender. So if you're looked over for promotions, if you're not paid equally, things of that nature. But when we're talking about sexual harassment, that is specific discrimination that is sexual in nature. So Susan, you could give us some examples of what sexual harassment is. Absolutely. Uh, we wrote about this in our snapshot, and I've had people tell us that th this list was helpful. Of course, you know, some of the most serious sexual harassment is, you know, uh, violent actions culminating in sexual assault. So that's one element that could be considered sexual harassment, but it's more than that as well. Um, but here's some other examples. Displaying calendars, cartoons, pictures, posters or computer screens with sexually suggestive material, making sexual gestures, expressing graphic commentaries about a body, um, making verbal sexual advances or propositions, showing sexually suggestive objects, using de derogatory comments, slurs, you know, jokes, those kinds of things, using sexually degrading words to describe an individual, 
verbally abusing with words of a sexual nature. And then the last one we mentioned is writing suggestive or obscene letters, notes, electronic messages, or, or uh, invitations. And this is email and text. Right. And even well. social media posts. Yes. So there are things that can happen face to face. It can happen behind someone's back or it can happen digitally. So how widespread do you think sexual harassment is in terms of the United States, but also in Utah? Well, Susan, that is one of the very trickiest things to yes, pin this. <laughs> because like other crimes of a very personal nature that sometimes have been considered taboo, sexual harassment is vastly underreported. And so uh, the EEOC, the research that they did, they found anywhere from between 25 to 85% of women had experienced sexual harassment. And that's hard. That's, that's a pretty huge, <laughs> that's a pretty huge spread there. A recent study done um, showed that 50% of women in the United States who are currently working said that they had experienced sexual harassment. That's 48% exactly. So we're looking at this is a very common thing going on in workplaces. Now we look at the United States and then we look at Utah specifically. And I know when you and I were working on this brief, you kept coming back saying you were frustrated in terms of not finding specific numbers for Utah very often. Yes. Uh, a lot of the, the numbers that we have that we think are most accurate when it comes to identifying the rate of sexual harassment, those numbers come from polls and surveys because actual um, lawsuits, formal reports, complaints filed with the EEOC, research shows that those only make up about 10 to 15 percent mm. of the total harassment incidents. And so 85 to 95 percent of women who are experiencing sexual harassment are never filing a formal complaint. And even, not even with uh, most of those, not even with their organizations, right? right? Only 70% even file it within their organizations. So we, we know that there's a lot more out there than we hear about, than is reported, than organi you know, that organizations even hear about. Yes, absolutely. And some of that can be tied, right, to the definition. I'm not understanding, you know, is this something I should just blow off? Even when women walk by and hear other things, but isn't bystander one of the issues in there? Oh, yes. That's one of the things that there are several important considerations to think of when we're looking at sexual harassment. You can experience sexual harassment at work and have an intimidating workplace environment, even if you're not the victim. Yeah. If you're listening yeah. to it and the way a group of people are treating someone else or an individual is treating someone else and that bothers you individually, it, it inhibits your ability to do your work. You also have experienced sexual harassment, even if you weren't the target. And I've heard women or people, men and women, say that some of the reports are just not a big deal, that they're just small things. But I push back a little bit, in well, a lot in mm -hmm. terms of some of those, because we don't know people's backgrounds. And people, a, a woman may have experienced rape or sexual assault, and anything that leads her to get distracted and have those feelings come up is really a disturbing experience for her. Right. We don't understand how it can affect other people. And that's why it's so important for all of us to understand that this type of behavior, no matter how innocuous or how you know yeah. slight we think the joke is or things like that, it has no place in a professional setting. And what did, what did you find specifically about where Utah stands in terms of comparison to the nation in terms of sexual 
So again, we only have the numbers based on the actual filed reports, which is a very small percentage. And we're looking right along the same lines as the national numbers. And so if we're thinking about Utah and we're looking at national surveys and polls, we can imagine that our Utah numbers are pretty similar. So we're not less. We don't have have less of this harassment going on, most likely. We no. are, we're pretty close to what the nation is. We're right in line with national averages. Which is not something to brag about. No, nope, it's not. <laughs> so, you know, I think it was so interesting in the report that we found uh, research and data on people that are more likely to be harassed. What did, what did you... You read lots of reports on that. So update us on that. I, I know that... Uh, what, what I found was interesting is there was really a spread, a gap. Women who, I ask you a question now, I'm giving the answer, Go but that's for it. okay. <laughs> Women who are in really low paying jobs where the power differential is very, you know, high. Right. You touched on a couple key points there. The most important thing is the power differential. Yeah. So any type of harassment is going to thrive in an area where there's a huge power differential. And so that's why when we were looking at the women who are most likely to experience harassment, it's the women who are the most likely to be disempowered within the United States. So that is women of color are more likely to experience harassment. Undocumented immigrants are likely to experience it. And it's because their perpetrators are presuming, probably correctly, what's she going to do about it? She has no recourse. She can't go talk to anyone. She's going to be scared. Um, Young women are sometimes more likely to be the victims of harassment, probably because their perpetrator (laughs) assumes that they are inexperienced, maybe don't understand that this isn't okay, and they're maybe scared to talk about it. And that research is interesting because I don't think we understand that dynamic as well, why the younger uh, women are not reporting as much. Um, and, And if it's really not there, if they're not... You know, if they're used to that. I mean, there's some interesting dynamics. There are generational one. dynamics yeah. for sure. Because some of the older women just assumed this was part of my regular life. We hear that all the time for women in finance, women in different areas. They think that isn't harassment. That's my day at work yeah. every single day for 30 years, which is extremely unfortunate. And it's so great that we're having these conversations that things are starting to change. Susan, one more thing I wanted to mention in this area is that men can be the victims yeah, of sexual harassment. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. We need to not ignore them because we have found that men, you know, do endure that. And also sexual harassment can be from a woman to a woman or a man to a man or a woman to a man, right? Yes, absolutely. And the if the two, if the victim and the perpetrator are the same gender, it doesn't need to be a, a same sex scenario either. Two heterosexual women could be involved in a sexual harassment incident. So um, about 15 to 16 percent of the total claims received in the United States are from men. That's good to know. So uh, it does happen. It's much less common, obviously, looking at the numbers. But also most of the research, so most of the information that we have is looking specifically at men harassing women. Yes. And so that's the most common scenario, and that's the thing we know the most about. And that's about. what we look at the most in the Utah Women and Leadership Project. I want to go back to something that you talked about, and I mentioned it as well, just to make sure our listeners understand. When we talk about a power difference, we need to, I think, describe that a little bit more. So so I'll, I'll start, and then you can just uh, mention what you want. When we use those terms, we're really talking about uh, when, and you see this a lot in Utah, when, when there's a lot of companies with the whole 
uh, leadership team and the managers are really men and the women are there, but they're in lower positions. And so there's pay differences and pay can be part of power, right? Oh, absolutely. And, and what other differences, uh, just in the titles that they have? in the, the empowerment that you feel or don't feel. Yeah, absolutely. Age can be a power oh, differential, good, as we yeah. mentioned. Pay, prestige, position, all those different things. I mean, some of the most widely recognized incidents within the country were of these women who were super famous, powerful actresses, yes. right? But the men who were harassing them were more powerful. Yeah, they had the decision making. Right. Uh, so power. it doesn't it doesn't mean that that because you have money, that means that you don't you know, that you're not ever likely to be a victim. It's, again, the power differential, and it can come in so many forms, as you mentioned. That's a great explanation. Thank you for that. So let's go to, let's move to, and, and I mentioned this before, but but how does it, this impact, or how can it impact the victims? Um, let's talk about the victims first, the individual people in organizations, and then let's talk about the companies and organizations. So it's not just for-profit companies. It could be nonprofit. It could be politics, education, government, education. It happens everywhere. Yeah. So let's talk about how can this impact individual women. Well, you mentioned that uh, that some people think, oh, it's no big deal. People are overblowing, you know, the situation and making more of it than they need to. But women who experience sexual harassment uh, have so many negative outcomes, physical, mental health, financial Women who've experienced sexual harassment are, are more likely to experience depression, anxiety. They'll have weight loss or gain, uh, many more sick days, and things that they just don't feel physically well enough to come to work. They'll have um, they'll in, experience financial losses from missing work, but missing out on promotions, uh, having to leave the company and switch jobs, losing the tenure that they had within an organization. So all those different ways have such a serious negative impact on women who experience sexual harassment. And as you said, I mean, it's physical health, mental, emotional. But when, when you have those issues, I've studied for years the work life. They, they affect you at work, but also they can affect your role if you happen to be a spouse or a mother or community member. It can really bleed into so many different roles in life. Oh, absolutely. You're going to be taking this sort of stuff home with you, and it's going to affect all aspects of your life. So how about, and, and we're just touching the surface. Just oh, yes, absolutely. There's a lot of research that documents that, and the stress. I did a, a research uh, project a number of years ago on stress that women feel and what stress does to you even physical, you know, the, the physical effects. So let's talk then, let's turn it to how does how can it negatively impact a company and the organization of state legislature and those kinds of things? Those are great questions. We we look at the impacts on the women who are experiencing it and those things are so negative. But what sometimes people fail to realize, especially companies who think they can sweep these sorts of things yeah. under the rug, is that it's costing them millions of dollars. There's so many opportunities for loss here. So even though a very small percentage of sexual harassment cases are filed, claims actually paid out, it's still in the hundreds of millions of dollars every year for just companies. Just for that. And that's yes. just the few women that come forward to actually file a claim. Right. But when cases don't get that far, companies are still losing out. There's loss of productivity from the workers involved and also those people who are witnessing it. There's a loss of reputation to companies. And I, I've i had a number of women come and just say they've quit their jobs. 
who may actually just quit and leave because they don't want to be in that environment anymore. Oh, absolutely. So turnover issues. And, if, you know, companies develop a reputation. If you know that there's a place where you've heard a few friends telling you that they've dealt with a specific manager, you're not going to go work at those companies. And so there are so many uh, direct and indirect costs to companies for failing to address this adequately. Yeah, I think there's there's many. When you get into the the retention issues and the turnover alone, plus the, the legal fees and those, you're into a lot of money. So lastly, in our snapshot, we talked about, so what can we do? What can Utahns actually do? What are some of the suggestions that you found in the research? And we, we just have a short paragraph about this in our snapshot, but talk about that for a minute. Well, there are so many different ways that various stakeholders can work to make sure that they are reducing and helping to deal with this problem specifically. So if you have a company, make sure that the word that you're giving your entire company is that this is absolutely not tolerated. Yes. And that word needs to come from the very top. Absolutely. It, in anything like this, it has to come from some of the top people. And the research has shown that middle management and even supervisors are key too. Yes. So if, if a supervisor just ignores it, it doesn't, you know, try and implement what the company has put forward, then you've got problems too, right? Yeah. And the company's still responsible. If they've got leaders in place who know something is happening and they're not taking care of it, they're going to be prone to liability there, which is only one of the reasons why they need to put an end to it, right? So get setting a tone from the top having regular, very specific meetings and discussions, talking about this openly and letting people know we create a safe yes. workforce environment and where what safe. we're doing is That's work. the word that you, you see a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Safe. Another thing that really is beneficial is having multiple channels of reporting. Yes. A lot of companies will just have their HR director that you're supposed to take everything to. And some just have the supervisor. Right. And sometimes the supervisor the is supervisor the supervisor is doing Or what if the HR director is really great buddies with the, with the person that you're complaining about? And so it ends there. And so the most successful companies will have multiple ways for people to let it know, to let it be known that they've had some issues. And you know, Robin, that I have studied um, training. Uh, training and development is one of the things that I studied in my doctoral work. And bystander training can actually be very effective. I will say that that oftentimes companies do implement like diversity training or sexual harassment training, but there's really mixed reviews on whether that's effective or not. And um, if company is doing it just to check it off the list, it tends to not be designed well, so it's effective. But you really have to look into the design elements, best practices, the research and theory around how to design a sexual harassment training so that it really does move the needle and make a difference in the workplace, and it can be done. Oh, absolutely. This is one that you don't just want to phone in. You want to make sure that you're really doing a great job in putting a comprehensive policy together at your workplace. But Susan, there are other ways that all of us can get involved. You mentioned bystander training. If we are willing, if we can find the courage to just speak up when we see something inappropriate happening, that is so powerful. It really stops the harasser in his tracks. But is it as parents, as educators, we can help train young people yes. to know yes. what is appropriate workplace behavior and what they can expect out of a workplace. They need to know that they don't have to put up with this kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think um, really just learning and practicing your listening skills can be helpful because sometimes you get little, maybe it doesn't quite fit into the sexual harassment bucket, but it's going in that direction. And if you don't discount it, but you listen, if you're an HR 
manager or supervisor listen and really hear that. I think it's very important. So Robin, in terms of efforts around the state, are there things happening that that women and, and men who support women are coming together to try and just harness more energy on moving things forward in terms of legislation or other efforts? Uh, what are some conversations that you've been in? Absolutely. There's a group of concerned stakeholders who've recognized how important this issue is and how we have some specific issues that we need to work with yeah. in Utah. We've had we've had conversations surrounding some of our legislators mm-hmm. and different inappropriate types of behavior. And Robin that and I are me. both on this committee. Yes. So and we've had some great conversations, yeah, yeah, women in the state and, and men who want to make sure that we're moving forward in this direction. So there's legislation that can be passed. There's... Um, resolutions and different open conversations that we can be having. But we just want to let everybody know, our listeners know, that we've gathered a bunch of resources on best practices that companies can use. Pulling together our snapshot is really valuable to share with your employees or your coworkers at your company. So we've got a lot of resources that we can share from our website. If you want to learn more about this topic and make sure that um, you're sharing the news so that we can start to improve the situation. Thanks so much for that, Robin. And thanks so much for joining us today on this podcast series hosted by the Utah Women in Leadership Project at Utah Valley University. Our core mission is to strengthen the impact of Utah girls and women. If you want to learn more, please visit us at utwomen.org. Thank you.